in a united Africa, there could be no frontier claims between Ethiopia and Somalia, or between Zanzibar and Kenya, Guinea or Liberia. My roommate saying to me, what kind of music do you listen to in Africa? Tribal? Let freedom reign. God bless Africa. I thank you. Hello, everyone. Today, uh, Pod Denoma Africa is the podcast about Africa because we are celebrating our 10-week anniversary. And to celebrate, we just decided to do a special edition and we also have a special guest with us. But uh, as usual, in New York, we have Hannah Nordenswan and here in Nairobi, uh, it's me, Lisa Latinstrom, and in Nairobi as well. Iman, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, hi, Iman Shurbini. Um a, an Egyptian journalist, um, a new um, resident in uh, East Africa. Um, I'm looking forward to this podcast. <laughs> our Thank first, our first me. African voice on the podcast about Africa. Yes. It's about time. <laughs> Yeah, but usually, you know, when we speak about Africa in this podcast, we mainly focus on sub-Saharan Africa, but Egypt, uh, where Iman is from, is also Africa geographically. But how is it, how would you describe your identity? Is there any, anything African about it? Um, of course, like um, uh, when it comes to Africa as a whole, um, a lot of people would think in instantly East or West Africa or even South Africa, uh, but they always forget about North Africa, and that's understandable because of the 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 many changes this that part of Africa has gone through, um, uh, the many wars and conflicts uh, that part has gone through um i would i am i'm very big actually on pan-africanism um so even before visiting um for my like for the first time ever uh visiting like south africa or even uh, kenya uh six years ago i've always considered myself uh african um but there is no denying the the part which is being uh, an Arab as well uh, for an Arabic-speaking person or an in an Arabic-speaking uh, country. Yeah, so but yeah. would you say uh, now moving to Nairobi, living here in East Africa, <laughs> has that changed your identity in any way? Do you feel like more African or less African, or how how would you say? Um, I I feel a little bit more African. Um, I think it it kind of it's very contingent on people. Uh, here, people are very welcoming, and um, if you try to immerse your, yourself in the culture, they they see you as one of them. Um, I I I think with time, I maybe will be more African in a way, maybe the the way of thinking, uh, embracing the culture and whatnot. Um, but for now, yeah, I'm I'm just like that uh, person in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. We'll get back to Egypt in a little bit. Um, but one thing that w- was big news here in Nairobi in East Africa was uh, actually an American piece of news, namely that a refugee from Dadaab was elected into the American Congress. It's been big news here as well. The uh, elections were on uh, Tuesday night. And uh, we've seen ever since that, it's been all these pictures of most of all women and a lot of women representing different minorities have been in the group uh, in the in the news uh, because it was it was a big election it was, so it was the congressional elections 
um, the midterms. Um, and uh, as you said, this woman from Somalia was elected into Congress. She's one of the two first um, Muslim women ever to be elected into um, Congress in America. Her name is, let me check her name. Her name is uh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah. yeah. And she's not only uh, is she Somali, a Muslim, a refugee and a woman. She's also very young. She's only 36 years old. Uh, democratic candidate and uh, she won like a landslide victory um, over her um, over the other the Republican opponent and she won in Minnesota which I think is interesting Minnesota is um, has a lot of uh, people living there who have Scandinavian origins or Scandinavian roots and I think it's uh, it's amazing that this young Somali woman won and she also she really like she won um, through Her main her main things that she ran with were um, refu- refugee rights, um, cheaper education, better health care, like these very uh, leftist things, and and she came uh, forward forward very strongly as a refugee and as a Somali woman. And I know that all over the world you see like the Somali diaspora celebrating and dancing traditional Somali dances. You see these videos everywhere in social media. It's um, we'll see how how much. Um, How much power power she'll get when she's on the hill or when she's down in Washington? But it's definitely like representation-wise, it's big news. A lot of I saw the discussion here in Kenya. Some people are saying like, "Oh, Kenya failed her because she used to be a refugee here, but then was resettled to the U.S. And why wasn't Kenya able to, you know, use that potential or use her potential? She could have been something big here as well. So now it's some people are like, eh, we missed a chance there with her." Mm. <laughs> Um, first, I want to talk a little bit about Cameroon. We've been speaking about Cameroon in this in this uh, podcast a lot before, and now it's like it seems like it's just deteriorating the situation there. Uh, earlier this week, uh, was it 78 or 79 school kids were kidnapped, and the big question is who did it? Was it the English-speaking uh, rebels, or was it orchestrated by the by the uh, government there? I spoke to a Cameroonian journalist, and he said like in in the anglophone areas, everyone is saying that this was clearly like done by the government to to discredit mm. the rebels and say that you know look what they're doing to to their own people uh then again you know that it would have been stupid by the government to do it because it it gives Cameroon a lot of attention that the government does not want mm. and today also there's was a journalist from Cameroon that was detained okay, yeah. have you have you heard about read about that uh the female journalist mm. yeah um i saw that on twitter this morning Um, but uh, luckily, uh, it's gaining international attention. Actually, like Amnesty is actually calling for her release, uh, so that's good. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this one time she'll actually get out early. Mm. I think it's interesting how the narrative about the school kids um, developed because when they were first kidnapped, you started seeing this um, in the news um, that like the the. Boko Haram comparison with Nigeria and the Chibok girls came up immediately and it started getting attention because of that. And then they were freed pretty quickly and sort of the media coverage ended. I thought that was very interesting that it became news because they were kidnapped school children, that that brought more attention to the situation in Cameroon. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I'm thinking, you know, was it actually the government because 
they should have known that it will get attention if they were the ones behind yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's very. But the but the kids who were kidnapped were they they weren't from the English people. Yeah, they were from the region. English. It was from Bamenda, the capital of the northwest region. So they were from. Oh, from I see. There. so so the government is saying that the English-speaking region rebels kidnapped people of their own in order to accuse the government. Yeah, pretty much, and because because the rebels have been calling for school boycotts, so that's why it fits the narrative, you know, to to say that it was them who, who kidnapped them because they were in school. But then again, if you saw the videos from when they were, uh, when the, or there was a video released after they were kidnapped and they were all just saying like, I don't know where I am, but I was kidnapped by the Amba Boys, which is like a rebel group. So they were saying it like a bit too much, you know, for it to be credible. <laughs> yeah, and they also said that the, I saw some of the kids who had been uh, kidnapped were interviewed by the BBC and they were like, you no, know, we were treated very nicely. They gave us fruit and water and like... <laughs> it, it didn't seem like a very dramatic or horrible kidnapping. It wasn't exactly Boko Haram uh, forcing them to be sex slaves kind of kidnapping. Yeah, but interesting anyways, like I'm sure we have to follow up on, on if there is any culprit found. But now we're going to talk about Egypt, I think. Um, Iman wrote a really interesting article about women in Egypt and how many there are living sort of double lives and and living... Uh, with a lot of lies or so do you want to Iman do you want to tell a little bit about the, like the whole idea and how you came up why do you, you wanted to write about this uh, well the whole idea of the article um, was well it was triggered uh, from a personal experience um, as a woman in Egypt uh, you would be very lucky if you have very understanding parents very liberal parents um uh, ones who do not um, comply with the traditions of the society, uh, but that that would be like two percent of the whole population. Um, now the country Egypt is a very conservative country, um, and it's not just conservative because of religion; it's conservative because uh, of many uh, rulers that came and kind of used uh, that sort of culture or, or tradition uh, as a repressing um, tool, basically. So um, the article, uh, basically, um, I live on my own, but um, even though I have my own like life and uh, goals and, and dreams and whatnot, uh, I still, as a 31-year-old woman, um, have to tell my mother or my my family um, some lies uh, just to get by because basically uh, they they might not take it very well uh, they might not sit uh, with it um, properly um, and I knew uh, there are a lot of women out there that are having it much harder than me um, before I started the article, I, I spoke to a number of them, and I know many of my friends actually suffer from that. Um, and some of them actually had like some horrible stories uh, told uh, to the point that uh, I thought, well, maybe, maybe having this thought out there, um, because basically you cannot shatter... Uh, ideas or um, traditions unless you actually talk about them so I thought maybe if we talk about them um, it will shed some light like a limelight on the issue 
um, maybe a father or a parent will come across the article and think uh, for a second uh, that this is actually impacting their uh, children, especially women. Um, well, um, basically, uh, the 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 trigger, the triggering point, or like the basically the the straw that broke the camel's back, and I had to write about it, was when a woman, uh, a young woman, um, was uh, raped, and she had to get uh, an abortion. Um, the problem is, she didn't, she cannot tell her parents. Uh, either of those things so um, with with that in mind you don't that person or that woman didn't have any support system she only had her friends uh, she didn't have the the financial support uh, the the emotional support um, and that impacted her uh, self-esteem um, she became a compulsive liar um, like I can go on on the the things that has have just um, gone wrong just as a result of uh, continually lying uh, as a a lifestyle, basically. What kind of what kind of feedback have you gotten from other Egyptians after after the article? Uh, to be honest, I thought that uh, after the article, um, I will get uh, there would be a backlash. Uh, because of, of how I portrayed uh, these women, or like the fact that they want to go out and um, um, experience their, their sexuality, uh, drink alcohol, uh, do things that do not really fall under religion or traditions. Uh, but uh, I have seen a lot of women reaching out to me to like with a thank you note. Uh, on that idea and saying that thank you for writing this or thank you uh, for um, like giving us uh, some like some solace or uh, telling us that we're not really alone out there um, so it was it was refreshing to be honest and um, I, I want to top that article with a better one that would talk about um, uh, women repressed in Egypt and uh, what it does to their lives, because um, I'm pretty sure they there are a lot of um, uh, like prospective young women that can lead the country, uh, but they don't get to do that because of so much emotional labor uh, of having to deal with injustice and misogyny every day. How would you say? I mean, after after the Arab Spring and everything, how has the situation in Egypt? changed during the last like 10 years um after right after uh the arab spring in 2011 uh people were very hope hopeful actually um mostly women like i've seen some women um express themselves better uh tell their parents no i'm not doing this just because you want me to um but it didn't go for long. Like I can say safely that it it was it lasted for a year maybe, and then uh, the like fighting over like uh, who takes the power uh, came to light. So with that, people again use tradition and religion as a a weapon, and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood who came to power after that did not help. Um, 
So and even with like with the current regime, um, it's still the same. Uh, so I would say women have been um, like more forward and they have been speaking up a bit, but you can hardly notice it if you don't live in a society or you don't or didn't grow up in that society. Um, and um, I can see like like a little glimmer every now and then but it, it you can't really like you cannot for example um let's say in in like you cannot like grow a flower in a landfill for example so it's it's just tough at the moment mm. i think i think it's interesting though uh speaking of women and egypt and on the topic of what kind of news mm-hmm. from the african continent we hear about i think um after the arab spring we got a, a lot of quite a lot of news from the perspective of women because women had such a prominent role in the uprising mm-hmm. specifically in egypt mm-hmm. so i feel like i've i've heard and read about this point of view quite a lot but now lately um it's it's disappeared a little bit so i'm glad you're uh keeping it up or uh lifting it up in the media thank you there are, there are a number of women that are trying uh to convey their their point of views and their their truths um even through writing uh art um just you un- politics you name it um but i i i just wish that these things can reach beyond the the middle class and can reach actually to the the working class because um i think in egypt specifically they're the moving force for anything we cannot do anything without them but what can if we think about you know women being repressed so much in in egypt what kind of an impact does it have on a society and the development of a society um i think this is a an issue that has been discussed uh, a lot um amongst um women's rights groups and women's rights activists um that if a woman is repressed or a woman um has her rights taken away from her in a way um that would actually impact uh future generations because i'm um, i'm growing up at, like i'm having the same mindset as my mother and my grandmother and i'm raising my son the same way so it's very normal it's just like uh that he will evolve to be that person who is treating a woman as a second class citizen um that that's one thing the other thing um we're talking about uh like repressing 50% of a society uh that's a lot of of people especially in in a country like Egypt with a population of around 96 million um so you're you're just denying a lot of women uh so much potential and in return like you either have um a resentful uh woman uh or mother uh or just children who weren't brought up right how is it i mean you're you're not living in egypt anymore and for you i mean you sort of have been able to break some kind of a cycle what did it take for you to be able to do that um when well it all goes back to when i was like really young because um unlike or not unlike but um 
when I was young, I was really stubborn and I was really defiant, uh, um, defiant, and I wouldn't really want to be told what to do. Um, I didn't take that from uh, one of my parents, uh, basically my father. Um, that didn't like, like really sit sit well with him. So um, I uh, I think the the fact that I didn't like seek approval and I wanted to like break my own way uh that that helped um i mean like it took me a while of course through university through my um like early 20s um um it took a lot of emotional labor as well which shouldn't be the case because when you look at um like i'm sorry to to kind of like um, use a cliche but if you look at the west uh, women don't have to uh, fight to live on their own. They don't have to fight to study in a, in a certain university. They don't have to fight to uh, wear what they want, especially like that. Uh, this is this is a, like a personal choice and a, just a human right, basically. Um, so I I like I would. Um, want my child in the future not to have like especially like especially if she's a, a girl uh, to go through the same process uh, of having to appease to appease family and appease the society yeah right how would you compare um working as a female journalist in egypt as opposed to now in in kenya is there is there a difference in your everyday life um, there is a, a significant difference, actually. Um, in Egypt and over the years, press freedom has really dwindled. Uh, we're like really at the bottom uh, because of the current uh, regime. Um, we're being ruled by a military uh, dictatorship, basically. Um, so here uh i think being um, an outsider or a foreigner it gives me more of a leeway uh to work or write about things that i'm not able to write about in egypt um because egypt like like the 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 variety of topics are are just so many but also the repercussions are really harsh uh because uh, like it's it's just you can get arrested and um and be detained for five years without uh, without release, without um, an offense, without uh, conviction, without anything. And I think sort of Kenya is, is now a good or a sort of a ray of hope here in East Africa because the situation in Tanzania is going down the drain. And uh, I mean, there was just two people from CPJ committed to protect journalist, journalists that were detained in Tanzania and released as well. And uh, and also in Uganda, they're making it harder for foreign journalists to get accreditation and everything. But in Kenya, it seems like it's still quite. I mean, the press is sort of free here in this country, so that's. Yeah, thing. I was thinking, should we talk a little bit about Tanzania because it's been making headlines in the world. I feel like the past few weeks, because all of a sudden there are, um, like you said, press freedom issues that are surfacing, but also um, really hard pushbacks on the LGBTQ community in Tanzania. And it's such a, like both you and me, Lisa, have lived there 
in Dar es Salaam for for some time and it was during the pre- previous president's time and i feel like that was it was very different than what's yeah. happening now especially for a country that after independence was based on uh Julius Nyerere's socialist and very liberal politics and now it's now it's now this is happening yeah it feels like it's a very different country now and it was it's so sad because when like three years ago when this John Magufuli was elected he everyone thought that he was going to be able to bring some change you know be uh, like tackle corruption and everything but then instead the human rights have just deteriorated and now he's been building up to, with this rhetoric you know that gay people are are you know how what did he say even cows denounce you know homosexuality stuff like very like harsh rhetoric against people and they're super like very afraid the LGBTI community there now and also a lot of but it follows a trend that he also oppresses the opposition a lot of like opposition politicians have been detained or or harassed or like uh, even even one of them even was like almost assassinated so it's like a very very worrying situ- situation and and for me i think like it's it's very sad that finland for instance who has been giving a lot of aid to tanzania is not really you know saying anything or, or and it's a partner country for has been for years and years and now even the eu ambassador of tanzania was recalled to to brussels because he was basically being thrown out of the country yeah i mean all of the scandinavian countries have very strong bonds with tanzania i think it's one of the few countries uh in Africa and maybe even the world where where all the nordic countries have their own embassies in Dar es Salaam as, as opposed to sharing one so yeah. they have a lot to say and yeah it's been very quiet on the nordic end uh, i'm going to be super lazy this week and say land of the week is egypt and hana do you know the 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 the, the capital of egypt <laughs> 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 right as and if there is anyone who's listening in English this week who isn't usually listening to us because we speak Swedish um we usually introduce a country uh and question each other on the capital and um Lisalot is usually very good at fi- knowing the capitals of all the tiniest countries as well. So this is an easy one. I I'm pretty I'm 99% sure that the capital of Egypt is Cairo. And it's not a tiny country either. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would have been it would have been so embarrassing if I if I didn't know this. The other week Lisa lot completely blew me away by knowing the capital of Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Um that is I at least thought it was like a very tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> But I was I was thinking we'll ask since we have an expert on Egypt here we'll ask Iman what 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 can you tell us about Egypt that is something people usually don't know anything Um well first Hannah uh the the capital is Cairo um who yeah it's where the pyramids are <laughs> I mean they are in in Giza so a bit out of the city but yeah they they are um you can just go to Cairo for the pyramids um as for uh Egypt Egypt is is famous for a lot of things um and you want something that something that people maybe don't usually associate don't with Egypt associate with Egypt um well since we since we're speaking about women um uh women ruled uh, in ancient Egypt like it was like That's one of true. the first nations uh that have queens uh female gods uh like you name it so uh the 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 sculptures that you see like Nefertiti Nefertari and um uh 
Hatshepsut, uh, all of them were like queens that uh, either ruled on their own, like Hatshepsut, or uh, ruled um, besides their uh, like partners or like husbands, basically. Um, that's one thing. Uh, do you know that Luxor has one third of uh, the monuments uh, of the entire world? Oh, I've actually been to Luxor. It's very nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What What do you mean one third of all the monuments? What like what, do so, you, what does that mean? It means that like the the entire the entire world um, the entire world uh, world's artifacts or monuments or temples and whatnot. Luxor has one th like thirty three percent of that. Wow, that's crazy! Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. That is that is super crazy. I haven't been, but um, I feel like I definitely should go. Um, well, you can you can even go to just Luxor. Like um, a lot of people think that <clears throat> for for you to have the full Egypt experience, you have to go to Cairo, but um, I always recommend to people who haven't visited to go to Luxor or go to Sinai because it's another beautiful place to be in. Yeah, you once said that Sinai is the nicest place in Egypt. I think most people just think about it's it's, ama and it's just amazing. Uh, you you wouldn't meet anybody who's visited Sinai that would say otherwise because it's it's just uh, amazing. Cool. Yeah. I think that's a very good <coughs> point to have because like Lisa Lott said, um, when you say the Sinai region to someone from a Nordic country, yeah. we just think about because it only gets headlines because of the attacks and the True. bad things happening there. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, a very that's a very different point of yeah. view on, on the Sinai region. I can also highlight uh, because a lot of people get confused. They think Sinai is where uh, the ISIS militants are. Um, they're usually in um, <clears throat> in an area of 50 um, square kilometers in the north um, on the border with uh, Rafah, the, the, the Palestinian Rafah. So it's, it's very, like, very limited and the rest of Sinai is just like beaches or Bedouins. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you're, you're right. A lot of people like just automatically question like Sinai are you sure is it safe yeah yeah okay cool that's a good tip as well <laughs> Hannah what's your tip of the week oh my tip of the week are we there already yes <laughs> <laughs> um well I I was going to um to tip give the tip of a book that I'm currently reading but actually I think I'm going to save that for next week when we're back to Swedish and instead ask uh, Eman if there's if, if you, I should read one good book by an e Egyptian author what mm -hmm. would that be? Um, I would like there are a lot so many like um, I'll, I'll have to ask you do you want like do you do you enjoy fiction non-fiction yeah, I, I prefer fiction when I read. And and maybe something like a little newer, not not a writer from like the 60s. Uh, something that's more recent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I would actually recommend <clears throat> a novel that I think it speaks to Egypt uh, back in the 90s and still speaks to Egypt now by um, author, his name is Ala El Aswani. Um, and the the book is the Jacobian uh, building. It just like 
addresses um, uh, Islamic extremism, it addresses uh, dictatorships, it addresses the LGBTQ in Egypt, it, poverty, you name it. Like it, it's got everything in that in that book. And um, there is actually a movie. So if you want to watch the movie as well, you'll you can find it subtitled somewhere. Oh, that's a good that it feels like that contains everything. The Jacobian building. Yes. Okay, I I googled it already. Um I'll <sighs> definitely get to that after the one I'm reading now of which you will hear next week when we're back to Swedish. <laughs> I was actually also going to give a, a tip about a, a a person on Twitter but now I feel like it's sort of off topic so I'm going to copy Hannah and ask Iman if someone wants to be <laughs> like on top of things that are happening in Egypt who should they follow on Twitter? Uh, who should they follow? I follow a lot of people on Twitter. Um, the there is actually um, I would say follow um, Karim Shaheen. He's the former uh, Guardian uh, correspondent uh, in Syria for like for Syria and Lebanon, like the basically the Levantine but he was in Istanbul and he recently moved to Canada but he's he's very on top of everything oh. um yeah and he's a he's just a great uh journalist so oh, Can oh yeah I Karim Shaheen qu- quick <laughs> I found him on Twitter already he apparently um writes for the New York Times every once in a while yeah he recently started writing for the Times um uh like like op-eds and whatnot so um, I'm glad that he's he didn't completely give up on the region yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you have a, a well? You already tipped about a lot of things now, but do you have anything else you had in mind that you wanted to tip about? Um, not really. Like, Sinai on vacation. Then. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> like I can't like uh, the the reason I don't want to say it again is because people think I get cuts out of it. Because I say way too much, like <laughs> always go to Sinai. Because like you can, like the flights to Sinai are cheap. Uh, they're easy, even or especially from <laughs> Europe. So yeah, oh, I think she has some ties with well, some kind of a, like airliners. In maybe. <laughs> in that case, in that case, maybe give us what's a nice place to visit in your new home country of Kenya. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. I would say Watamu. Watamu is absolutely beautiful and I felt there how I felt in Sinai like oh, it's nice. like it's very cozy it's very beautiful and people are friendly. Mm, Watamu is on the coast coast of Kenya and maybe yeah. not, not as famous as Mombasa and Lamu and these other places. Yeah very good tip. Um, next week we'll be back in Swedish again and this was very fun I hope we'll do this again and have more special editions and special guests. And if anyone wants to reach us, we are on uh, podenomafrica at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on, if you want to find us on iTunes and uh, all the other podcast apps, you have to search for our name in Swedish, podden, P-O-D-D-E-N. So two Ds, om, O-M, Africa. So Africa, but with a K. So that's how you'll find us in this very special English episode. <laughs> <laughs>